Hi, I'm Mike. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. You guys know how this works. This week, we're covering 2008's Dear Zachary, directed by Kurt Kenny. Uh, Unlike a lot of the films that we've covered, Dan, this one is a documentary. Uh, I asked you to watch this one for some reason. We're going to get into why I said that, but first, I just want to get your gut reaction. So I had not seen this and I had not even heard of it until Mike recommended it to me. So first of all, spoiler alert, if you have not seen Dear Zachary, don't listen to the rest of the show until you do, because part of the experience of the film is being surprised in horrifying ways. Um, the first thing, Mike, is that this is a movie that you really have to know who you are recommending it to. Um, you can't just go around like network and say, oh, it's a great movie or The Godfather. Everybody should see it or um, so-and-so. This is a great movie to see on a Saturday night. You have to be ready for this. It's, it's, a, it's a visceral, raw, emotional experience. When I first started it, the process I went through was this. I thought it was going to be a take on the Tom Sawyer story. You know, what is said about you after you die? Dear Zachary, look at all these people that loved your dad and what, what a great celebration of life. So I thought it would be kind of like George Bailey. And then I wondered, okay, is it going to be that, um, that Andrew, Zachary's father, had some kind of dark side that comes out because that's the nature of documentaries. And it wasn't that. But then it becomes something, and my take on this is that it's truly, truly cathartic. So we all learn that definition of catharsis when we learn about Greek tragedy or Shakespeare. Um, but I bet you that none of us have ever cried during a performance of Antigone or Oedipus the King, no matter how good it was. We get choked up at Shakespeare and things. But here, I mean, when, when, when his mother's crying about the cremation, it's almost too much. It's almost like you're, you're hurting inside and you can't believe this was captured on film. And it's a, um, it's, it's a visceral 90-minute gut punch but that's never um, exploitative either. So that was my take on it. It was it was a it was a, the most truly cathartic movie moment I've had in years. Yeah, I I think I think the style. A lot of people call the style amateurish when they're being when they're being critical. But I think that it's highly stylized. In fact, it's it's highly intentionally stylized because anything too slick would be disrespectful. You know, it's it's like imagine imagine giving a perfect eulogy you know, God forbid at your mom's funeral or something. Nobody, nobody can do that because it's your mother. And that's, that's, that's the emotional impact uh, of this, of this movie. Um, And, and the way in which the form fits the content or, or fails to fit the content, but, but in an intentional way, Uh, I 100% agree with you. I, I obviously knew, you know, who you were when I, when I recommended that we, that we do the movie. But this is one of the podcast episodes where th- this movie is just not for for everybody. This is a a highly triggering movie, a, a highly emotional movie. Yeah, and it's also the kind of thing where Mike and I weren't texting each other like, "Can't wait to talk about Godfather 2. Can't can't wait to talk about you know The Exorcist. It, it's it's kind of like, okay, let's have a conversation about Dear Zachary because we both watched it. it. It's 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 very tough, and obviously, I mean, obviously, we we run a podcast about movies, so it's we have it in us to be analytical. But again, the the intentional structure of this movie is to take away a lot of the grip that a lot of the analytical grip uh, that you can get on other movies, or like you like you said, the the um, I think that our paradigm for investigative documentary is very much out of uh, muckrake journalism. You know, it's it's all. Uh, the Chicago meatpacking industry. And in fact, some of the documentaries are still on the Chicago meatpacking industry. That's not, that's not what this is about. There, there is a little bit of bureaucracy blaming 
And there's a little bit of shock in, I, I can't believe the system works that way. I can't believe that the system that I believe in fails uh, in, in certain ways, but that's not the emotional impact. The emotional impact is to, is to listen to Andrew's father say, I should have I killed her. I can't believe that I didn't kill her. I wish I had the chance. And to, to really feel that as a viewer and to feel things that you didn't think that you were capable of and the way that that makes you and the way that that makes you feel this, this is less of a movie and more of an experience. I've seen it twice. I, I maybe have, I maybe have one or two more viewings in me. And I don't think that's because I'm watching it the wrong way. I think that's because I'm watching it the right way. A hundred percent, you know, um, true crime is, is, is very, very hot, right? I mean, you've talked to me about, you know, uh, making a murderer. Everyone's listened to the podcast serial. It's it's very you know, there's a million other podcasts out there um, about about true crime. It's it's very it's it's obviously naturally uh, like people are drawn to documentaries about that, and this certainly has you know true crime in it, but it doesn't work the way making a murderer does. No, it it works to make sure that the victims are as as human as possible. To me, the flaw in making a murderer is sometimes they forget about Teresa Hallback. They spend so much time talking about what happened that they go, oh, yeah, we should probably talk about that poor girl who was killed. But this is the story of the family that that's going through this and not not once but twice. This is uh, this is not just about the, the nature of crime. This is about the nature of evil and it makes you feel it. So welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moment or a favorite line or a key scene that we think is indicative of the film experience as a whole. Mike, what did you come up with for Dear Zachary? Sure. Um, there's there's a moment towards the end of the film, or I would say in, in the uh, final third of the film, in which Andrew's parents admit that that they wished that they had that they had killed her uh, before she got a chance to hurt Zachary. Um, which, as I as I mentioned, is is one of those moments where a normal film would turn on you. Sometimes Scorsese movies turn on you, and they 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 twist the plot in such ways that you wish things would happen that you never thought that you'd wish. But you but there's an element, obviously a fictive element that absolves you, even if you wish for a certain character to be killed. You know that that character is played by an actor or actress, and they they didn't actually do what what they said that they did. And so there's an imaginative quality that takes you to a place, but it provides you a buffer. And I think that's that connects back to what you were saying about why we don't necessarily experience true catharsis because we have a we have a fictive buffer that allows us to play into our imagination, but also protects us. And there's there's no prophylaxis here in in Dear Zachary. The pain is real the ill intentions are real. And so it's really unlike any other viewing experience. Um, but it's not just about that, that moment and the pain that Andrew's father goes through because he's in through the, through the rest of the film, he's extremely composed. One of the things you feel when you watch the movie for the first time is I can't believe the way that this guy is calmly articulating what happened, because if it were me, I would be a shuddering pool on the floor even 10 years after. There's no way that I could sit in front of a camera and say the things that he's saying. Or then you hear um, conversations with his son's murderer and then his grandson's murder. And he's very calmly working at the logistical details of when they're going to pick the baby up. And you go, how could that phone call even be possible? Right. But for me, it's a there's a weird experience that the film highlights that that there's something about evil or bad things happening that people can people can sense when bad things are going on. And, and that moment where the dad knows that something is wrong and he's got to do something about the lady and he quiets it down because he his conventional morality tells him 
she's in, you know, I, I can't do anything to her. I can't do anything. I, I can't do anything to her. And that's the same mistake actually that Andrew's friend makes, uh, you know, that, and, and he admits, and that's the reason that Andrew's killed in the first place, because something weird happens. He, he puts her on a plane to Indiana and she's come back to the doorstep and he says, I don't, I don't think that that's correct. That's not how, that's not how people act. And so there's, there's something here where we all get why the nature of this crime is more vicious than usual, but it's vicious in such a way that you can see that the people involved had just had a bad ill feeling about it because again, it's not just crime, it's evil. And that's how humans respond to evil. You know, usually when we watch a film, we can be absolved by fiction. We could want things to happen to characters or react in a certain way, but we're absolved by fiction. So it's funny that you said Scorsese because that made me think of Goodfellas, right? Well, Goodfellas is a true story, but your but your emotions are absolved because it's Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, and you know that they're all actors. So imagine if you had actors playing these parts in Dear Zachary, that would lessen the impact. Imagine if, um, as you mentioned in the first segment, uh, you know, Kirk Kenny were given $10 million more to help edit the film and put in slick production and get get music and stuff like that. That would also, quote unquote, absolve you from from the, or, or at least excuse you from the raw feelings you get. So I think you're onto something there. Like, I love that phrase you just said, absolved by fiction. My moment was, I'd had a lot of moments, but my moment was about 10 minutes in. And again, this is the first time I went through it. You see people talking about Andrew's graduation from med school, and you're kind of settled in and comfortable with what you think this movie's gonna be. Like I said before, what I thought it was gonna be. It's gonna be a time capsule for a kid about his father. Um, in the very beginning, you almost think it's gonna be sentimental. You know, um, that would be great for, you know, if your father's no longer with you, what would that be like? I, know, I mean, I know I'd want one about mine, but then Kirk comes on and says, okay, we'll get back to the subject of Andrew's graduation, but you have to know the whole truth. And that jarred me for a moment. And then you get the story of the murder and your mouth drops open and you think, okay, that's what this movie's about. But then what you don't realize is that the twist is not the murder. The twist is that Shirley's pregnant. And then the twist is she goes to jail and David and Kathy get Zachary. And then the twist is that Shirley gets out of jail. And then the twist is all the phone calls you mentioned. Then the twist is that Shirley and Zachary are missing. Then it's the press conference. Then it's the book. And then finally, it's who is this movie even for? Like, why did he keep making it? Unbelievable, because you think the whole climax of the movie is you're going to get to see the adult Zachary. You're going to get to see him grow up and, and that you don't get it. And once that happens 10 minutes in, every five minutes, you think to yourself, I've hit the wall. Like, I can't. I can't do this anymore, but yet you watch his parents so composed and you think, okay, I'm going to hang on because the dignity of those people is going to make me keep watching this movie. And that's, I think, what, what helps make it such an exhausting experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what heightens the sensation that you're talking about is the way that the other characters respond to the Bagbies. It really is about their composure. It's about their, it's about their grace under pressure yeah. uh, as much as it is about anything else. But unfortunately, finally, the movie kind of exists to hold in amber the moments that they that they had him and they were able to be good grandparents. And so they're, they're family movies, they're home movies, but we're all at home. Okay, so in part three, we talk about the ending or the title or the big takeaways. I think we kind of just talked about the title, you know, Dear Zachary, but who is it really for? He is he is Dear Zachary. He is Zachary now dear to me. So moving on, Dan, you mentioned that there was a PS kind of at the end of the film. I haven't seen it. It's not part of the of part of the actual film, but it's meant to be a continuation of the story. What happens? 
Yeah, in 2008 is when the film was made. So in 2013 on YouTube, and you could see this on YouTube, um, Kurt Kenny posted a, a short film, it's about 15 minutes, called um, The Legacy of Dear Zachary, A Journey to Change the Law in Canada. And it's about the law that was changed where um, you, know, you, you can't post bail for people accused of, of first-degree murder. Um, so I had seen the film, uh, you know, a week or two ago because I knew we were going to record and I said, well, let me watch the, the PS movie. And within three seconds of turning it on, that stomach ache came right back. So I think the PS attests to how powerful the film is. Um, I mean, I don't know these people before you talked about the, you know, a fiction absolving you, they, they may as well be fictional characters. I mean, I've never met them, but there's something so immediate and so, and so um, raw about that. And you kind of form this relationship, to, not to sound corny, but you form this relationship with these people when you watch the first one that as soon as the PS came on and I saw them again, it brought all those feelings back. And, and um, the effect of that is, you know, you get to learn about how th they invited um, 413 MPs in Canada to a screening of the film and about 30 people showed up, but only three MPs did. But eventually, you know, the law gets changed and um, there's a lot of nice moments in there from the, from, from the director about this, the journey that is still going on, the still going on journey for David and Kathy. Sometimes we have the response to fictional characters that they are real people. There are there are some people circa 1960 that could have wished for Atticus Finch to be true, and the but the opposite is true here. Where they're they're so uh, in a in a sense fictionally good that we're glad that they're real, and we form an emotional connection to them that only takes the 90 minutes and and doesn't go away. Sure, there's I mean there, you know Hamlet can seem like a real person to us. Falstaff can be seem like a real person to us. So it's funny that sometimes fic some some fictional characters are more real to us than the people that live on our street. I was also struck at the end of the film by how statements are made that would be sentimental in other contexts, but that here are, are the perfect expression of what's going on. Somebody says in the PS, I think God puts people on earth to be examples. And that's exactly what you think when you watch it. Now, of course, that would be the, the corniest line or the most sentimental mawkish line somewhere else. But here it's a perfect articulation of what goes on. And the reason is for one simple thing that you'll hear in writing workshops everywhere, which is people will take moments and say, you didn't earn that. But here it's so deeply earned that you're right. It takes something that would be unthinkably sentimental and it makes it just right. Yeah. As soon as it was over, you probably remember that we don't, uh, to the listeners out there, we, we don't cheat. We don't talk about these before the podcast, but I did send Mike a text after I watched it and I just said, uh, I should be a better person. And I think that that's, that's the effect of watching this film is it makes you think I should be a better person. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Twitter at 15MINFILM. You can email us at 15minutefilm at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like us to watch. Take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>